Hey guys, welcome to episode four of the Auto Guide Show. We are the editors of AutoGuide.com, and it's many, many sister sites. Here we have Sebastian. Say hello. Hi guys. And Sammy. Howdy. And、uh, this week we have a lot of cool cars to talk about. We have the BMW M3 CS. We have the Acura RDX Infiniti QX50. And the Subaru WRX STI. Actually, we're getting our friend Sam to join us to talk、yeah. about that. Yeah, so we're going to swap out Sebastian midway and bring in Sam, who will be a newcomer to our show. And you're not pissed up. And, yes, and it's not just a bunch of crossovers, which is what we always think we're about to talk about. Yeah,、We've、we have a. We've got some performance cars. And、um, that's gonna be fun too. I think so too. So a new episode drops every other Friday on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Make sure to like, subscribe, and review so you never miss an episode.、Um, and we're gonna start this week with an audience question from Blake Swan. Yeah, shout out to Blake time, Swan. Yeah, he's a longtime supporter of Auto Guide, and we're really thankful. Uh, that he gives us so much support,、uh, and his question was basically about Cadillac. So he was basically saying that when the CTS-V came out, Cadillac had a whole bunch of momentum with their design and their engineering to take on the German automakers.、Mm-hmm. And since then, yeah, they've kind of gone downhill with their product, and their stuff just isn't as exciting and competitive as it used to be. So, do you think that Cadillac has、um, what it takes to gain back some of that momentum and take on? German cars. That's so tough. I mean, Cadillac also with the CTS and the CTSV, that really nice art. I think it's called art and design. design art and language, science. Art science. Yeah. That's what it's called. Art and science design language. That's what it's called.、Um, it was a very unique time to showcase really bold vehicle design, and that's when I think the other German rival, which was Lexus, was kind of going really dull and drab at the time. Right. And. Now Cadillac shows up with these really bold-looking cars. The CTS, in particular, which I thought was a great-looking car. The CTS-V, which had the performance to go with it. And then I thought they followed up pretty nicely with the second-generation CTS and the ATS、mm-hmm. um, and the ATS-V, which I thought was a fantastic Such car. Such good cars. And then they had those V-Sport vehicles, which was pretty cool. But now I don't know what to say. I feel like they've slowed down. They don't have the momentum anymore. They're they have really nice interior designs. Sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes. I was a big fan of the interior design. Yeah. Well, sometimes they don't look that great. That's the problem. Like the ATS, that gauge cluster looks dated and busted. Well, because now it's really old. But when you go back to why we liked that car so much, it had fantastic driving dynamics. That's true.、Um, They still largely do. Like every Cadillac I've ever driven has been lovely to drive. Yeah,、really、the chassis are great. The, the powertrains are great. Are great.、Yeah. Um, but then it kind of falls apart in the small details、mm-hmm. and the kind of stuff that makes you feel like, oh, this is a good luxury car. So like my issue with Cadillac is that they're trying too hard. Um, to be German, but I think they should just scale back a little and focus on being like American Cadillac. Like, give me、Which、a big the- luxurious sedan.、Mm-hmm. I don't think that Cadillac should be charging less than a hundred thousand dollars for any cars. Yeah,、I、and and you said that you don't want to see a Cadillac that weighs less than three tons. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want big, heavy. So you think that their their method to success is to go back to something that's not being offered by the German automakers, which well, is a very Upscale, luxurious car across、yeah. the whole lineup.、Yeah. Here's what I think. I think that the、uh, CTS and all of that, that art science design, was very successful, and that the conversation isn't about your grandmother anymore. We talk about CTS or whatever, any Cadillac. You're not talking about Florida, and you're not talking about 96-year-olds, which is like huge, right? That's like、mm-hmm. that was a big stereotype about them, right? Because they were around when Cadillac was the best thing in the universe. Exactly, and I still think that Cadillac still has a whiff of that. You still call things the Cadillac of, right? And I, I think. 
Rolls Royce of that's the just Rolls, me. Fair enough. The Rolls Royce is a little. It's a little. It's, a, it's too much. You know, sure. it's too many syllables. Uh, I think that if you take the VW model, where you instead of making Cadillac an Audi competitor, you make it a Bentley competitor, I think that that would be a better space for them to occupy. Because I don't. I think uh, Blake is right. I think they don't really know where they want to be right now. Mm -hmm. because right. Uh, the German scene is really strong right now, and they're doing a good job of uh, owning their own variety of cars. Right. Lexus is doing a really great job of doing interesting, mm -hmm. like, Design, well, yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if I it's attractive, it. but eye-catching yeah. is maybe right. the word for it. And they've also shed that, like, boring The old persona person, yeah, as well. Them too. Um, at least on the, uh, with, with the exterior design. The cars still drive kind of um, floaty, and they're not the most engaging. But which that's is what where, people want. Yeah. In a luxury car. Right. What I think is interesting is when you look at what Mercedes, BMW, Audi, and even Lexus has done, they've really expanded their lineup to include a number of vehicles, be it compact crossovers, crossovers, ginormous vehicles, three-row crossovers, um, sedans of all size, and even some really weird stuff like four-door coupes. Cadillac doesn't have that range. Mm -hmm. Doesn't right. have the ability to um, express themselves and what they're about. At all, we know that they are potentially thinking about that, though, because they pat or they sorry they trademarked a bunch of names. They've done CT one through nine now, and they've got names on XT one through nine as well. Which I, know just, I think not, that's just protecting themselves. I know, I know they're protecting themselves, but at least the the, the range could grow. Yeah. Like they, they're giving themselves space. But um, if you look at what Cadillac offers that any other German doesn't, is a big Escalade. And so yeah. right now, like BMW doesn't have a big three-row crossover, and neither they're does. On it. They're working on it, but I mean, Cadillac has always had the Escalade, and I feel like that's the car people think of when they think of Cadillac. There's also a huge difference between what the Escalade is and what, say, a Q7 or this yeah. X7 yeah. or a Mercedes G. Ooh, I don't know what they're called now. GLS. Yes. The big one. Yes. <laughs> then again, there's also the Mercedes G-Class, which is, I think, to me, yeah. that, that same personality in a German yeah. car, though. It's this really bold vehicle that makes you go, whoa, that's, that's crazy. Big square and all. And, um, and I hope that Cadillac keeps up with the Escalade. It needs to actually be refreshed. I think the Lincoln Navigator has now taken that position, mm -hmm. which is, you don't want to be behind Lincoln in any way or form. <laughs> um, they they have shown themselves to be, to stumble into success, and I don't want Cadillac to have that same accidental success story that Lincoln right. has with the Navigator. Um, there is something that should be said about Cadillac. They offer something that very few automakers have, and that's a true uh, semi-autonomous or self-driving Feature. Right, super super cruise. Cruise. This is their advantage. This is their this is their uh, killer app, and that won't appeal to everybody, but it will appeal to people like Sebastian who want a very expensive vehicle. That is ultra luxurious. Why it's going to be why it's expensive is because it has technology like that. Yeah, yeah but you got other people catching up to them. Audi's got uh, level three now, so they're mm -hmm. going to jump over them, and then yeah. even Volvo. They're I mean they're a few years behind, but they're going to come in with level four or five when they do. So. They're not going to be able to hang on to that lead for a long time. Yeah, yeah we'll see how long that holds up. Yeah. They need to have something that makes them stand out. And before it was the design, I feel like now their design is getting a little um, familiar. Mm -hmm. um, I thought the, the, the interior design was pretty good, but again, it's gotten stale. I don't think they're really doing anything there. I thought the Escalade was special. It's been taken over by the Navigator. They're really falling behind in every single category, and I need in in order for them to maintain their status as Cadillac, yeah. they need to do something 
something special, and I don't know what yeah. that is. I feel like they have been going out of their way to hire a lot of younger people in Cadillac and in Buick as well. Um, and I think that's starting to show through. I think, I think they're starting to take a couple more risks. Mm -hmm. But until they're, those young people are like at the top of Cadillac and get to make those decisions, I feel like we're going to be dealing with this kind of stodgy image for a little while. True. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at some of the cool concepts that they've come out with in the past, so like the Escala was amazing. I, I love that. <sighs> but the, the, the coolest thing about the Escala was that, like, yes, it was a big, luxurious sedan, but the, the interior was gorgeous. That was the part of the Escala that caught, caught my attention. It was a beautiful interior, and it was full of really neat tweaks and, and, and changes. Yeah. The way that I think if you open the trunk, it would raise a little portion for you so that you could get your stuff without you know reaching over and getting it. So it's almost like these uh, ultra-luxurious touches are maybe you guys want Cadillacs to be more than $100,000 too? I don't disagree with you. I just, <laughs> just, I saying, just feel like there has to be more than that. <laughs> you guys have talked to yourself. Well, no, obviously you need it to be like, to live up to that, to that price point. But that's what I'm saying. You need something that's ultra luxurious. Yeah. If you're looking for an American car that's on par with a Rolls or a Bentley, you, you're out of luck right now. Yeah. Because there's nothing. Because there's nothing, apart yeah. from maybe an Escalade, but that's mainly got size. It doesn't right. have the same luxury as they do. Yeah, so, so that was a very long-winded answer to Blake's question. <laughs> but funny enough, he has another question. Um, and so he was basically saying that uh, Mazda ended up putting more power into the MX-5, mm -hmm. which everyone was really excited about. And they were small companies, so it's not that easy for them to pull something like that off. Right. He was wondering if you, we see Toyota ever putting more power in the 86. Okay. That's a tough question to answer because the engine in the 86 isn't quite a Toyota engine. It's a Subaru. a Subaru engine. And so I don't know what they'd have to do in order to give it more power. If that means that the Subaru model also has to have more power, if both automakers have to sign off on that decision or the, the cost associated with developing that engine further. I also think it's kind of short-sighted to think if Mazda is doing it, then Toyota can do it too. I think Mazda is a small automaker and they have a very limited range that's offered to a wide um, audience across right. the globe, while Toyota is a very large automaker and has cars that we've never heard of or seen of that is very successful in other markets. And those are priorities for them in yeah. much more of a way than, than the 86's engine Well, is. even just for, for Mazda, they've always been like the performance brand. And so for them, putting more power in their sports car isn't that crazy of a thing, yeah. right? right? It's just yeah, it's an obvious reason. solution for them, whereas Toyota putting more power in the 86 that just doesn't concern them at all. They'd rather put more safety into the RAV4 than put more power into an 86, because that's yeah, just I, where their interests are, right? The volume brand. Exactly. Um, yeah, cars are I mean, I'd also love to see an 86 come with more power, but at the same time, I know so many people who have bought an FRS, an 86, or a BRZ, and changed it all up on their own anyway. So why should Toyota spend all of that um, development money just for yeah. them, somebody to come in and be like, yeah, just put a turbocharger in it and yeah. fix it. And they also have a Supra coming. So, you know, That's if right. you want a sporty Toyota with more power, you're just going to have to wait like 10 years to get a Supra. <laughs> but uh, assuming that he's talking about the uh, 86 in general, so BRZ or 86, mm -hmm. uh, what do we expect on it? Like, is it inevitable that an SDI is coming or do, I we think think, so. or do you think that... Subaru will continue to be like, no, no, we're Here's just going to give you more. Here's the special edition, tuned by STI, yeah, exactly. but not a real STI. I think when it comes time to retire the BRZ in 86, I don't know, we haven't heard anything about a second generation model yet, no. so I'm assuming that it's, it's on its way out. It's been a long time since we've seen a really radical change to this vehicle, but Subaru has spent a lot of time and money 
adding STI parts to it with that TS that we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I think that they're just gearing themselves up for a car that can accept a new power plant that they deem necessary. So they're building their way up to it one part at a time. And I think it'll be a very special edition model, maybe even, I don't know if it's a race-only model or something like that. Do you think that's risky, series? though? Like, of course it but is. But just working up to it and like with these little incremental changes, and then when it finally arrives, you're going to be like, well, why don't I just get that last special edition one with all the well, parts? That's the way it works. You've got to build it. Yeah. The appetite is nowhere. It hasn't gone. Like, anytime you talk about BRZ, people are like, STI, turbo, yeah. turbo, yeah. turbo. <laughs> and like, yeah, like, we all, but you can add your own. It's fine, but yeah. And I, I think that's the point, is they've developed something very niche, and they need to milk it for as long as they can. And that's why, probably why we don't know if there's a, a successor coming. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, well, thanks for your questions, Blake. Yeah, and keep it up. Yeah, Those keep it up. Those questions. were great questions. And if you have a question, email tips at autoguide.com or leave a comment on the YouTube video, and we'll try to answer it in the next episode. Uh, right now, we're going to talk about, we're going to move on. We're going to start talking about fun stuff like the BMW M3 CS. CS. And just, we have notes here on the podcast, <laughs> and it just says kind of butt next to it. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so explain your notes here, so Sebastian. This, hold up. This is a limited edition yes. BMW M3. Fastest one ever. The most powerful oh. uh, M3 ever. 460 horsepower, 443 pound-feet of torque. Uh, only available with a seven-speed dual clutch, which is really oh, a seven-speed dual clutch. It's like it will, if you want to be going at the red line for a hundred miles, then it'll let you do that. Nice. So there is that. It's also kind of a dim-witted transmission, or maybe the first year is just not really meant to be used. It's very track-focused. Okay. So when you're driving around town, as I was doing here, occasionally you'll be going. And then you'll just tip into the throttle a little more, and it'll like get confused and start bucking and uh, you know shaking him around. And so it acts like an, an automated manual. Yeah, basically. But like, I've driven manuals a lot, and first year has never been has never mm -hmm. bucked on me quite that much. Right. And if you're in a car where everybody's already ready just to hate you, just to hate right. your guts, and you can't what? handle a manual, an automatic, and you start bucking around, they just look at you and dismiss you. They're like, "Yeah, that guy can't drive. Can't drive. <laughs> Idiot." Um, but I think I just didn't really like it. It didn't grow on me. I was cold to it. Why? And what about it made you feel that way? I think it's because uh, BMW was so focused on delivering G-forces. They were so focused mm. on getting it to be super fast, super uh, able to like grip for miles and miles and miles. This thing was on pilot, uh, Michelin Pilot Cup Sport 2, whatever tires. So it was like super grippy and uh, super fast, 3.7 seconds to 60. Nice. But you end up feeling like a tennis ball in one of those dog toys where you're just, all you feel is your seat. All you feel is uh, the seat, either the back pushing against you or the bolsters pushing against your sides. Right. You don't feel anything through your hands. You don't feel anything through your feet. And it doesn't really communicate with you. I didn't find it that engaging to drive around town. Interesting. I've heard. I didn't. I didn't get a chance to drive it on track. So I've heard that it's got like real sharp turn in, and mm -hmm. it's it's really well set up for track. And obviously, it's all rear wheel drive, so you can get the tail to hang out whenever you want. Not that I did, but in case you know, if in case you had to for some reason, like you run an on ramp or something, you mm -hmm. can get the. The tail to hand out just a little bit. So it's it's fun and fast, and I have no problem with that. It's just it doesn't communicate with you. 
That's really interesting because the M3 and the M4 have like a problem with, I think the right word is like passion and engagement. Mm -hmm. And right. forever they've been like painted as very capable cars that just don't make you feel anything. Mm -hmm. I've always said that the M2 is the real enthusiast car and maybe even the M240, which actually is also a lot of fun to drive. That's a car I would buy. I know, yeah. I agree with you. But I thought with the CS, they were going to make a vehicle that was a little bit harder in terms of a little bit more hardcore yeah. and talk to you and, and, and told you about the experience that you're having, which is something that I think all enthusiasts really like. I think they only succeeded in doing half of that. It's, it's harder. And that, I think, is, might be my biggest problem like with it. Like, it's super stiff. It's super stiff, which I don't mind. If right. you're going to do something super stiff, then that's fine. Like, that's a decision that you can make, that you're allowed to make as an automaker. It's just that you better deliver on that communication and right. on that pure drive and pleasure that they have in here. Yeah. So it's, it falls short on hmm. So if you're going to be things. that stiff for the, for the purpose of performance, make everything else that hardcore, like the steering and everything. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what they did with the transmission, and now you're complaining about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the transmission is good. It's great. It's very fast. It's just that first year of bucks, and it makes you look like an idiot. But Actually, I want, you, I want you to describe what it's like driving such a rare vehicle. One in 1,200, mm -hmm. and do people recognize it? A. Do people notice it? Because your car had a very unique look to it. It was like this... Um, I think people in the know... Yeah, I think, I'm not it's sure like if anybody... gray model. Yeah, it was, uh, I can't remember what the color is called. It's okay. like anthracite gray or something like that. <laughs> it's not it. Uh, but it's, uh, I think people see it and people know that you're driving something special for sure because it's got big, huge wheel arches mm -hmm. and it, it is very loud. Mm -hmm. uh, although I wouldn't call it tuneful. I don't think it sounds that great, but it is loud. So that's, that's the problem with all BMWs. Right. The new BMWs just do not have a great noise to them. Yeah. I, honestly, when I was driving the 340i, I thought that sounded better even yeah. than this. Hmm. But uh, regardless, uh, people see you on the street and hear you coming. And um, I, look, I think you guys will agree. I'm a pretty affable guy. Like, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. Nice as Sebastian me, I know. Don't make me admit that on the podcast. <laughs> I, ha I am not used to having people just be so ready to hate my guts. Just you look at people on the street and they look at, and they almost go like this to, to each other. Yeah. Like, look at this douchebag. That's the this thing. Any time douche canoe is sailing douche canoe. Every time I see anyone in an M3 or an M4, I, I have that reaction. I'm like, douche, I'm not letting you in traffic. And that's not limited to BMWs. And it's not limited to people in the know. People, just yeah. everybody, they, everybody knows that if you own that, if you own that car, the chance it's a high watermark for douchebaggery. It's just. How much does this car cost? Uh, this one was 114 Canadian. Wow. What? Yeah. For a BMW M3? Wow. It demands a lot of you. Okay. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy that, that much. much money, especially if it wasn't as engaging as the I only thing you're be. getting is a collector, as a potential collector's item in the well, future. Yeah. Well, uh, then I'd rather just get like the M2 competition or something, right? Which would be cheaper and like probably way more fun. Right. I agree with you. Yeah. Don't I don't look for an argument from me here. Yeah, well, I'm no, just looking like if you're if you're in that if you're buying in that sphere, mm -hmm. I guess. What would keep you from buying the M2 competition versus the M3 CS? Well, you want the rear seats and rear door. 
Do you really? Do you really? Like, does but if you're getting a performance you? car. I mean, that's the whole point. The I M3 guess. is supposed to be this thing that's do it all sort of vehicle. Yeah, but it's not at that point. The, trans <laughs> the suspension is so harsh that what are you, you really going to take your kids to hockey practice in that thing? I mean, maybe once, but like it's. I agree, you have the option of doing that, yeah. but it is so harsh that you, that you would never. The other thing about it is that apart from the Alcantara, you lose all luxury. Mm. So, and at that point, what's to keep you buy from buying a Camaro? <laughs> wow! Well, I mean, I it's wouldn't as, say it's that's as, harsh. It's Camaro. Got as, it's got, the Camaro SS has got as much you're horsepower. Going, you're going off the rails. Half the price. Half the price. <laughs> you're going and off the rails. And here, it's buddy. a really great performance car. What are you and the about? only thing you're giving up when you get the, the Camaro is the luxury, which you've given up in the M3 CS. I don't understand. So you're saying a Camaro SS would be able to keep up with this car on a racetrack? I don't know about that, but it's got roughly the same amount of horsepower. Okay. It's got rear-wheel drive. It's got a manual if you want yeah, it. Yeah, the chassis is great. Or a great, and it's got a really great chassis. I mean, it, it communicates with you. I was just in one on a track, and it's a fun car to drive. Mm -hmm. Different scenarios, I admit, but still. It's I, like, what's to prevent you from buying that, from spending half as much getting a Camaro that is just as useful and just as luxurious? I guess the badge. Yeah, apart from the badge. Yeah. What have they been putting in his water and his coffee? Like, <laughs> he got real salty all of a sudden. No, like he also did this whole thing about the $100,000 Cadillac. Like, you're outside the box, and then some. <laughs> a Camaro with a you BMW? It's not crazy. Like, I see What's, where he's getting I at. almost say that you could buy a regular M3 and it? then buy a Camaro afterwards. Like, <laughs> you can buy both. Yeah. I agree with you. The Camaro doesn't compete with the regular M3. But with the M3 CS, what advantage does it have over a Camaro? It's a special edition vehicle. It's it's rare. It gets you attention from the BMW Owners Club yeah, and, and the Bimmerfest crowd. And it gets crowd. you the wide hatred of everybody else. Of, every BMW gets that. <laughs> it's true. Exactly. And that's, if you're why Camaro, they, that's why they rear, they, they, tail, they tailgate everybody like that. And apart from a predilection <laughs> for murder, that's all you need to have a Camaro. So they, I mean, like, I get it. It's not the same car, but all I'm saying is if you're taking away all my luxury, you're taking away all my comfort, and you're not delivering me a, a drive that's that great, why wouldn't I buy a Camaro, which doesn't have the luxury, has way, costs way less, and does have a nice drive? I don't know what to say. This is ridiculous. I see where he's going. I mean, like, I don't think people are going to cross-shop them, but I see I see the point you're trying to make. There's so many other cars you can buy at 100000 You can buy a 911. I know, exactly, but that's my point, is that $100,000. Yeah. How would you spend it if, if you had that money? Exactly. And, and I don't Heck, think... I'd buy a Cayman. And or I really 17, don't think... Whatever they're called. 17 yeah. Caymans. And I really don't think that the M3CS is worth it, is my point. Point taken. Okay. <laughs> you got really passionate about that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> it is weird though, like I agree. It's weird to get an enthusiast car and as enthusiasts not get in, in entertained by it. Yeah. Right? And there's other other vehicles, uh, the Alfa Romeo um, Quadrifoglio, yeah. which is a very entertaining vehicle. Oh, which is so much better. It sounds much better than <gasps> Way this more engaging. inline six would. Um, it's got a pretty good transmission as well. Yeah. And, and people don't think you're a douchebag. And people don't think you're a douchebag. And I know that it's also a sacrifice. You're sacrificing some reliability, but you're willing to make that sacrifice because it's so nice to drive. I there's would. There's reasons. There's, yeah, exactly. There's a trade-off. Yeah. Very good reason. I and think... Then, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, if it came down to which one I would buy, I would get the Quadrifoglio over, the, over I this. I like we always have this discussion. To me, it's the, that AMG C63. I think that's... Sure. A, an amazing yeah. vehicle that doesn't get hatred from people when they see it with this <laughs> angry looking Mercedes coming Sounds their way. Sounds unbelievably good, too. Oh, so good. Yeah. And then there's also the RS5, which is also a really good car, option, yeah. all wheel drive, and can 
perform just as well as a, an M3 could. Yeah, right. I know. But we're we're going to get a lot of hate mail from the BMW crowd. All I'm saying is that they don't have that limited availability that the CS has, so that's yeah, what then, some people are paying extra for. I know, but is that really worth it? I mean, no, I can not. like there aren't that many Tatras on the or that's a bad example. There aren't that many, uh, you know, uh, Strodas on the road right now, but that doesn't make them good. Okay, point taken. There's a lot of Skodas on the road, just not here. Just not here. <laughs> The Skoda Superb, what a great name. I love Skoda. They have, <laughs> they have the best name. Skoda Yeti, Skoda Superb. Kodiak. Yeah. yeah. What do we got next? What's the next car you want to um, talk about? We're going to talk about two crossovers. Oh, and great. these are the only two crossovers we'll talk about on this episode. So count your lucky stars. We have the <laughs> Infiniti QX50, which we compared with the Acura RDX. Okay, so these aren't actually the really boring crossovers that will put people to sleep. These are two... <laughs> Um, really stylish, brand new, all new generation vehicles with some pretty fancy technology uh, under the hood. So let's talk about the QX50, which I think is the more significant vehicle. The old QX50 was essentially a wagon version of the G35 or the or the Q50 as it's known now, and now they've they've really made it into something very different on its own, and that's improved it in some ways and made it worse in other ways. Now it's an actual family vehicle. The old car had. Limited seat, no room. Uh, limited space for both passenger and yeah. cargo, and now this has a full size um, is a full size vehicle that can work for families. They've also included for the first time ever uh, in a production vehicle something called a variable comp variable compression engine, variable compression turbocharged engine. It makes uh, 268 horsepower and 280 pound feet of torque. It feels pretty good, but can also vary the compression in order to provide more fuel economy or more performance. In uh, the real world, I thought it worked really well. On the highway, this thing was extremely fuel efficient. Um, mm -hmm. And especially when you're not gunning it all the time, when you're not driving it like, say, you would a BMW M3 CS, <laughs> it performed really well. However, once you got into the city, yeah. the mileage would drop significantly. It would be a serious issue that I think they need to uh, revisit because I'm not sure, although I'm not sure how many buyers would go um, into the city or live in urban places like uh, cities, seeing lots of stop and go traffic, I feel like um, that should be the, the, the performance there should be. Improved. Well, I don't think that's fair. It's it's a reasonably small SUV that is also very attractive. I think. Right. So yeah. I think that that's kind of set up perfectly for a city. Like I think that's. If not ideal for a city living, that's like it does seem like the type of thing that people in the city would buy. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem with the engine is that it's interesting and it's a great experiment, but it delivers either fuel economy or performance. It right. doesn't. It's not like some cheat code where you get both. Right. And around town, you do on the highway. It's seriously impressive. And it's a perfect road tripping vehicle. Yeah. Like, and honestly. it feels really nice to drive. Uh, well, it feels fine to drive. Uh, <laughs> And, but around town, it's really, it's not fuel efficient enough. And it doesn't give you, like, it's... I so they're, they're selling it as you get the best of both worlds, which yeah. is a bit of a, it's not really fair to say that. You do get very good parts of two worlds, but there's a third right. world that's missing there. Sure. <laughs> um, and it's also paired to a CVT transmission that's, that's actually one of the hindrances of the vehicle. Not in any performance way. It, it just sounds terrible. It just doesn't feel when you hear that happening. When you put your foot into it and you hear the CVT rev that engine up, it ruins the luxury feeling of the vehicle. That's the only thing that really screws the car up. And they should go back and figure out how to make that CVT quieter mm -hmm. because then the car would be far easier to live with. 
there is something worth buying about this vehicle um, that really makes it stand out in the entire segment. And yeah. it's the interior of the fully loaded models, which have this gorgeous two-tone interior um, and just can't be beat by any of its rivals. I'm really impressed with what they're capable of doing with the with the fully loaded models. Yeah, and they're doing something different, which is really cool. So instead of looking at someone else's interior and being like, oh, let's just do exactly what they did, they, they kind of thought outside the box, and I think it paid some really big dividends for them. And I know it sounds like we're being really positive on the QX50. It does have some downsides. I mean, that CVT groan is, is annoying. Um, you do have to pay a lot to get that interior, that fancy interior. I think a fully loaded version of the, CX, the QX50 will set you back almost 60 grand, which is a lot of money. Yeah. I also wasn't a huge fan of the steering. I thought it was far too light. Like, it was one of those one-finger jobs right, where you could yeah. do that. But I you could you um, put it into a different driving mode, and it kind of helps that. But then again, you're, that, you do that at the, the expense of fuel economy. There so. is a personalized mode where you can put the sport steering with the normal or eco-friendly uh, engine or performance features. So you can balance it a little bit, but I agree with you. No matter what, you're going to get this very uh, disconnected feeling uh, from the steering wheel. The infotainment system isn't my favorite. It doesn't have Android Auto or Apple CarPlay support. Um, takes a little bit of time to get used to and is a tiny bit laggy as well. Yeah. They could do with some um, cleaning up of that system. There's also a little knob and joystick that controls one of the two screens in the car, and I don't understand why. And uh, that's... That's all I've got against the vehicle. I still would recommend it. I think it's gorgeous enough to, to purchase. Yep. It's refined enough to purchase, with the exception of whenever you want to get going on the highway, um, and that CVT perks up. And uh, it gets really good fuel economy. Yeah, there's no real deal breakers for me with the QX50. Like, I actually quite enjoy driving it. Which is in stark contrast to what we found in the Acura oh RDX. Oh my god. <sighs> I don't know where to begin with what my issues with the RDX was. Um, Touchpad. You want to start with the infotainment system. I just want to talk about how much I hate this infotainment system. Like, in, in most cars, there is not a deal breaker. This Acura RDX had one of the worst uh, infotainment systems I've ever experienced. And I know what this, I mean, sometimes you'll hear us gripe about a, uh, an infotainment system, and it's probably only because we just got in it like a day or two. But after a, spending a week in the Acura RDX, there was nothing more I wanted to do but throw this system out the window. It was I would, so I would bad. do everything in my power to not use it. Yeah. I mean, it was infuriating. It's So, like, I just want to explain to um, the viewers here that it uses this little mouse touchpad, uh, similar to what Lexus uses in a lot of their cars. Which is something that we've also criticized. It but sucks. somehow they made this worse. So, when you picture the mouse pad on your laptop and how even, it operates... I can't even... I don't even want you to describe it. I know, it because it, it makes me so mad. So, to... to for example, to type something into the infotainment system of the Acura, you you have to slide your finger around yeah. to figure out a keyboard. But every time you take your finger off, mm -hmm. the mouse like bounces back to a center, center. position, yes. so you lose all the progress that you've done, right? So you just have to reprogram your brain to not take your finger off 
the touchpad while you're trying to hit these tiny little buttons in the touchscreen while you're trying keyboard. to drive. Yeah, that's impossible. It's actually impossible. And the other alternative is to draw on the touchpad um, <laughs> your, the letters. So like write the thing out. And that also did not work very well. Every time I tried to put um, the number one, it would give me an L or a J or yeah. an I, and I just wanted a one. And it was getting annoying and frustrating yeah. every, every, and when you try to put a backspace, it put a dash, what the heck? Yeah, so like, I just feel like infotainment <sighs> systems should work and, and you should know how to use it the moment you get in a car. Yeah. No matter what car it is, you should just be able to, to find a radio station or put in an address with no drama whatsoever. So just to make sure I wasn't crazy, every single person that rode in the car with me, I told them to try to put an address into the nav and after like a minute, everyone was like, I can't, I'm not <laughs> going to do work. this. And they got angry about it. And you also have to put into consideration when you're trying to operate this touchscreen and every time you remove your, your finger off the touchpad, sorry, every time you're, you're using this touchpad and you remove your finger from the touchpad, it recenters itself. Imagine you're driving. And roads are not smooth. They are bumpy. They have yeah. like way like the elevation changes. You could be going over a train, a, a, some train tracks, yeah. and you will lose your progress and your location on that touchpad while you're driving. It makes no sense to use and, while driving. And there's no um, like haptic feedback either, so you can't just look at the road and be like. You can't feel when you're hitting a letter, whereas Lexus, Actually, it's like bing bing. It, it makes a little noise when you hit it, which right. is also annoying because then it's always like bing 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 bing, and you're just yeah. trying to drive and it's binging at you. But um, so, this well, is just as bad. Acura also makes a lot of noise at you when you're driving the car around, <laughs> and you have any of the driver assistance or safety features on. It is certain that you're going to cause an accident. And die. Which is something that is not very confidence inspiring when you're just trying to get home or to the office and it's like, you better hit the brakes, hit the brakes, brakes, brakes! And you're like, just take it easy! It always thought I was going to crash into something and like I thought, okay, maybe I was just a really aggressive driver. <laughs> so I like, I scaled it back a little to drive less aggressively than I would normally drive and it was still beeping at me okay, all the time. Okay, actually sometimes it will just put the flash of brakes but not beep at you when, when you scale it back, but it is still like, oh, ah, ah, hey buddy, hey buddy. It's yeah. just annoying. So like, for example, if you're accelerating to make a pass and you have to get like kind of close to the person in front of you, yeah. it'll actually slam on the brakes and ruin your passing. Maneuver. It is something that I had every time I got into the vehicle I had to turn off the, the forward collision warning which actually takes like a good five seconds to do you have to hold the button for a little bit longer and we couldn't do our, our, our video without turning that feature off and we're doing our car to car footage it's constantly freaking out the whole time and you'll probably see it in the footage of like me like what is happening I need to turn this feature off yeah. so keep an eye on when the video comes out keep an eye on my face and see if I'm, <laughs> uh, if I'm freaking out or not or or like looking around for this yeah. button or to stop the beeping. I mean, but the RDX isn't all bad. Like for me, those two things were big deal breakers. I couldn't drive the vehicle. It sounded like it yeah. wanted me, it was, I was going to cause an accident or it was too difficult to use the infotainment system all the time. And then the rest of the vehicle just wasn't enough to overcome these serious issues that I had yeah. with it. Yeah, it did drive really well. It like did. I really preferred the way it drove over mm -hmm. the Infinity. It's a little bit more uh, sporty perhaps. Well, that makes, I mean, one of the things that bugged me about the RDX is it had a sport mode and then a sport plus mode. And I also did not know, and a sport transmission mode. And I didn't know what the difference was between all of these three modes, these three settings. But you didn't need it because it drove fine enough in the whatever yeah. comfort mode. It just felt good to drive. Uh, it, ha it also has an all new, like a two liter turbo four cylinder. 
It's a good engine. It's a good engine. It had a, it makes like, a little bit more horsepower than the. Uh, in uh, yeah, 272 and 280 torques. And it has a 10-speed automatic that feels a little bit more um, sporty and, and engaging than the CVT. And it's, it's and pretty the, refined. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed is that when I first started driving it, I had it for maybe um, a few nights, and it never turned off its engine despite having automatic engine start-stop. We noticed that when we shot the video, and then you told me on the weekend, it just started working all of a sudden. So and we needed to get like the engine needed to be broken in or something. I don't know what the <laughs> issue was, but when I had it over the weekend, it wouldn't stop doing that. Like at the most inopportune times. Like every time you come to a stop sign, it turns off the engine. You're like, no, I have to go now. Yeah, but for example, I came to a stop, uh, the engine turned off, I put it in park, and it turned the engine off again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if I'm in park, don't you think I'm going to turn off the car? Yeah. And you should just keep the engine off? I hate that, actually. When you when the car turns off with an en when you put it into park, and then you have to turn off the car, the car thinks that you don't know what automatic start-stop is, and then turns on the car again. And you're like, no, no, turn off. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever had that happen to you? I think it all happens cars with BMWs. I think all cars do In Volvos? If you put it in park, it'll start again before so that you yeah. can turn it off. It's really weird. I it's think there bizarre. has been only like one or two cars where it was smart enough to know like, okay, she's turning off the car. I'm just going to stay off. <laughs> let's I, see what, let's see where she goes from here. Yeah. But it's like, maybe she's just putting it to park maybe, so that she can leave again. Maybe like she's just hanging out soon. in park, you know? Immediately after, yeah. Do we not all put our cars in park at the stop sign? <laughs> yeah. So, such a simple thing that like, I wish people would pay more attention to. Uh, I think the other the other alternative is that the Acura was much more affordable in in the starting um, trim level. Yeah, um, and it did have. And it looked good. It looked really good. I like the way it looked, um, and it also had a lot of practical features. There were a lot of little storage cubbies mm -hmm. for stuff in the front, uh, in the trunk. It had huge like hidden storage compartments under the floor. Mm -hmm. um, but the general, interior was not as special as what the Infinity had. Right. It also, I mean, they tried to do something differently. They made it look really sci-fi. It looked like a really funky cockpit, <laughs> like out of Star Trek. And it had a bajillion buttons, and that was also confusing, so you didn't really know. Like, it was... Trying to get anything done in the car was not a fun engineering It's just experience. not very intuitive, mm -hmm. and I think... I think some automakers are trying too hard to uh, appear to have something techy or fancy, but they completely forget about functionality and, and usability. Right. Uh, and that's a huge problem. I think the steering wheel didn't have a phone call answer or hang up button, which was really... Oh yeah, weird. you couldn't... Okay, so going back to the terrible infotainment system, <laughs> it's one screen, but it is a split screen. Yep. And so this little touchpad controls the bigger side of the split screen. And there's this little like toggle touchpad <laughs> that controls the little second part of the yeah. touchscreen. And, and so while you're in the navigation mode on the, on the main screen, you have the audio, the audio information on the second screen. And so I got a phone call and it showed up in that second screen and I had literally no idea how to answer it until I realized later that that other touchpad handles that other screen. It was the most confusing thing I've ever experienced. I'm like, how do I get my cursor over there and answer the, answer the phone call? Anyways, I really hope that they fix things with the, the infotainment system mm -hmm. there. It had Apple CarPlay, which would have been a help, uh, a huge help actually, but it didn't have Android Auto and I really hope they, they get their act together there. What else do we got? Um, actually, we're going to say goodbye to Sebastian here, and we're going to bring in Sam, who's our news editor. Okay. Tag in. Stay tuned. Uh, so hi, Sam. Hi, guys. Uh, tell, tell the crowd what you do for AutoGuide. Um, I write the news on AutoGuide, so if you ever go on the website, you see um, kind of daily news articles. I probably wrote them. Uh, I do some car reviews as well. 
Um, thanks to these two who throw me a bone every now and then. <laughs> um, and this time we throw you a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, they really did. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, I drove a 2019 Subaru WRX STI from here to Trois-Rivières, Quebec, which is normally like a seven and a half hour drive, but it took me like 10 hours both ways. Nice. <laughs> I, did, I yeah. thought the STI was a, is a fast car. Like, you should have gotten <laughs> yeah. there sooner. It was mostly just me like speeding in between mass amounts of traffic a while like, before <laughs> I hit them uh, because it was a long weekend here in Canada. Uh, so everyone kind of drives up to their cottages or wherever they might be going. And the 401, huge main artery road here, and it was just blocked pretty much the whole way. So I was in the car for all of 24 hours. So if you want to know things about the STI, I'm your guy. Okay, so right. why were you in Quebec? Why did you have to drive all the way out there? Um, well, Super invited me out there to take the car uh, to go watch Global Rallycross cool. and uh, World Rallycross. Uh, so they were racing in Trois-Rivières, Quebec, and the reason why they wanted me to go was to go see Jacques Villeneuve. Canada's um, most famous F1 driver, perhaps, or his dad, Gilles. And uh, yeah, so that was him kind of, he did one race. He grew up in Montreal, grew up in Quebec. So yeah, he was racing in STI. He did okay. Um, I interviewed him once uh, and he said he was having trouble because you, on a rallycross car, you hold the top button for the gear lever and that provides an overboost. And then you grab like kind of a brake, um, sort of like a, a handbrake, mm -hmm, yeah. and then you floor it and build the boost up and let go and that launches the car and he kept forgetting to release the thing he would just release oh. the, oh, the button so he got some bad starts and he didn't do too well but he told me he wants to do a full season next year nice. so he's kind of maybe trying to work on it with Subaru right now that's um, cool. cool yeah okay so tell us about the car did you love it did you hate it <clears throat> yeah I, so what is there what is there to say about this year's version of the STI they did give it a pretty good refresh last year and yeah. I want to know what's uh What's coming along with the with this year's model? Um, well, I think the most the thing that I got like the most questions about was everyone's like, "What happened to the wing? Did the wing fall oh, yeah, off?" You had, like, you had a wingless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it had no wing. Well, it has a little tiny wing. So for 2019, you can get uh, sort of like a wing delete option that gives mm -hmm. you the tiny uh, lip spoiler they call it. Uh, so my car had that. Um, and so the most interesting thing they changed, I guess, was that you can now order an STI without the boy racer. Uh, vape wing. I also found your car to, to look very different too. Most STIs I see are that blue uh, World Rally blue, and your car was definitely not blue. Yeah, no, it was like kind of rental car spec. So <laughs> they call it they call it ice silver metallic. So it's just silver, no wing. Uh, so if you weren't looking very closely, or you're not a big Subaru fan, you might not even really have realized that very it was cool. an STI. I think that's I cool really like that. I, I agree. I think I like that because the STI gets way too much attention everywhere it goes <laughs> because it's got this big wing. It's this gorgeous blue. It's loud. Everyone wants to race you. And yeah, everyone thinks, or you're making like a scene out of going to the grocery store. Yeah. And then you've got this silver one with an understated lip spoiler. Uh, trunklet spoiler, you can get away with it. And no wing, yeah, I look like an Uber driver. <laughs> <laughs> um, but did you like driving it? Yeah, I really like driving it a lot. Like so much so where I was like, maybe I'll get one one day or maybe okay. I'll buy one because I really like the manual. Um, really mechanical steering, makes lots of noises, which I like. I actually kind of like a sports car to, I like, I like it when the, the noise like penetrates the cabin and you can right. hear the transmission clinking and so that car is a lot of that. Really mechanical, really nice to drive in that way. Um, but the flip side of that was, like I said, it was a 10 hour road trip. So like 
maybe four hours in, I was like, okay, I kind of hate this. Like, my, my back started to hurt. <laughs> right. The seats are really hard. It's loud. It's loud. It's got a very heavy clutch, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's got a heavy clutch. And if you get, you, if you get stuck in that thing in traffic, it's not, yeah. it's not an enjoyable Leg experience. day for one of your legs. Additionally, I think we took this thing to the track last year, and I remember telling uh, Sebastian, like, hey, be, like, the clutch is different than every other car like we have here. You might stall it. And Sebastian was like, nah, whatever, <laughs> I can man. drive, you idiot. And he immediately stalled it. And he was like, oh, I see. Yeah, I stalled it too. When I first picked it up, I stalled it. Yeah. yeah. It's a serious... It's, it's a little bit of, tricky. It takes yeah. a little bit of getting used to. Yeah, yeah. And sure. I agree with you. It's a car that I think gives you really strong positive first impression and then that wears you down yeah. the longer you have yeah. definitely because the suspension's also so stiff and i can't imagine how like uncomfortable it would have been over like montreal roads yeah oh yeah it was uh it was pretty rough and i find that i probably have a pretty good tolerance for that like i'm i'm spry i'm pretty young <laughs> so uh i won't get beat up too bad by a really stiff car but even after a while even me i was yeah i was pretty i was pretty uncomfortable in it um i also hated the nav it was. Yeah. It had no idea what it was doing. So it has Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, but I wasn't using it because I wanted to see how Subaru's Starlink system worked. Right. Um, and up on the highway on the way up uh, in Quebec, they sort of have these um, off ramps that they go off and then you can go and take like an exit road off or you can easily quickly get back on the highway. Let's say right. you took the wrong one. So I don't know why, but this nav would just send me off onto the on-ramp <laughs> and then tell me immediately to get back on. I felt like an idiot. I'm like going off and on and I was in Quebec uh, trying to get somewhere. I was following the nav just trying to get there. So it got confused like that. And then it did it on a couple of similar roads here in Toronto. Um, and it just has usability problems. Like you would go to select the Sirius XM from the list of stations. Let's say it was on 55 or something. And then I would close it down and I'm driving along and then I go to reopen it. And the menu has defaulted back up to zero, so you got to tap all the way down oh, to go to 55, right? Yeah. So like, it just has a lot of usability problems, things like that, where it was super frustrating to use. Right. Um, I find that Starlink, even if it's the updated one, it's still not very responsive. It's not very fast. Yeah. yeah. No. No. And like, um, another usability thing was normally the background of the map will switch from daylight to nighttime on its own. Yeah. This just w wouldn't do it. It was on auto. It's I went to the settings. You? Yeah. I'm like driving. I'm like. And then there's kind of like a windy road at night, and I was like, oh, this is nice, but I cannot see. And, then, <laughs> and like, so then I pulled over and I had to turn it off into the night mode. Yeah. So, yeah, there, I, I experienced issues like that with the, with the nav, right. um, and that's probably the biggest complaint I'd have about it. Right. But driving it, which is what this car is all about, you're on board? Awesome. Okay. Love it. It's, yeah. it's, I agree with him. And also, we've taken to the track, and it... It takes a it takes a beating. It does not slow down. It, it likes the abuse. I it feel it really like. does. That's the, the brakes kind of and the tires just do not fade. I felt like it was just waiting for more. And it wants to do it all day, and it you kind of get that on the road too, where it's like, hey, do bad things, <laughs> right. accelerate. It's just like yeah. telling you, yeah. accelerate away from the light quickly and speed here and speed there, and you're like, stop. I'm trying to be yeah. responsible, Subaru. <laughs> and it's always like, no, let's go fast. That's all I know. I kind of like that though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And blipping the throttle for a downshift also is really like satisfying. It sounds great, I think, with yeah. that car. A lot of people think that the boxers sound a little tractory, and I think the STI has that noise like down pat. That's yeah, awesome. it's got a nice induction noise coming from the front. Mm -hmm. um, I think with an STI too, and maybe WRX, maybe WRX owner could let me know, but I feel like it's sort of like a mini or a Jeep where you're in a club and you get like the thumbs up yeah. with a Jeep wave or something because uh. other STI people were like, hey, nice car. And this was Rallycross. There's a lot of STI people in Quebec at the there time and things like that. So I was like, yeah, I'm a part of the club for one week. 
And uh, that's kind of cool too. I think people are attracted to cars like that with a bit of a cult following and they like to be a part of that club. And one of my favorite parts about this, the STI, is that it truly is an all year long sports car. Uh, when the snow hits, this thing does not slow down either. I mean, and it's got extra functions that allow you to, to gain traction in low yeah. traction yeah. situations. STI drivers situation. with winter tires, cockiest drivers ever. That's true. Because they know they can get away with That's it. They're like true. BMW drivers in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I like how it's got all, like, you can change the diff settings too. Mm -hmm. I find that to be a really like car enthusiast focused thing right. where it's like only true car enthusiasts, true uh, connoisseur of driving would appreciate you know, really specific diff settings like that too. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a car for the driver, and for that reason, I really liked it. Um, I don't know if I would buy one to drive every day because it's just so stiff, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the seats are pretty uncomfortable and things like that. But um, it's quite a sacrifice you've got to make definitely you know, to to appreciate that driving. Yeah, feel. I think a lot of people probably end up in a WRX that way, right. where they were like, I really like the STI, but it's like maybe a bit too much, and then you dial it back one, and you might find a happy medium. Right. So yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, awesome. All right, let's finish it up with uh, let's finish up strong with what you what you're driving, Jody. So uh, I just picked up a McLaren 720s yesterday. Whoa! And okay. This right now this goes down as the craziest, fastest, and most expensive thing I've ever driven really? in my dozen years as an automotive journalist. This is like the best I've peaked here. Okay, <laughs> where, where should we start? Let's start with uh, the power plant. What's found in this thing? Okay, twin turbo four liter V8. Okay. It has 720 horsepower, although what? some people are saying it's 710, but they named it the 720 uh, because of the 720 horsepower. Right. And it has 568 pound-feet of torque. All right. Um, it is silly fast. What do you mean? It, go, it gets to 62 in 2.9 seconds. What? Okay. And it, I was just, <laughs> I did it for the first time yesterday and I was laughing like an idiot. So I've been in cars that fast and every time you, you're in traffic or you're like on the highway and you know, you've got maybe like the, the HOV lane mm -hmm. and you hit the gas, you, you put, you, and the car goes into the, the lowest gear it can and it just rockets you forward. Yep. It's like you hit a, you're in a time machine. Like it feels like everyone else has stopped. Yeah, and it's it's crazy to me cuz there's like it's so many noises and the turbos are so loud. I love that. I love <laughs> to hear like turbos just spooling behind my head. And so it, it's just in general like a very visceral, very dramatic driving experience. Okay. Um and it is a twin turbo V8, but it feels almost naturally aspirated cool. in like in how immediate that delivery is All it right. just like charges and won't stop you know and i didn't have the guts to to see when that power would start yeah, to dip I don't know. because i yes. didn't want to lose my car my driver's license so i didn't <laughs> get to push it um and like full disclosure i haven't tracked it or anything right. i haven't like gone ham on it uh, i've been doing mostly legal things okay that's what I'm telling the public. That's what you're telling us all. Um, and yeah, it's it's fantastic. I just love how dramatic it is. Very cool. Yeah. Um, tell me more though. Like I've been, uh, the only McLaren I've been in was, I guess, one of the predecessors to the 720, which is the 12C. Right. And that was a very, it was a very fast car. And it also was surprisingly like comfortable and compliant over the rough roads in the city. I was yeah. really surprised at how composed it was in crappy situations. Yeah, I was really surprised too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I drove Sam into the office this morning. We took this supercar on the three kilometer commute to work <laughs> through traffic. Yeah, it, it was, was so overkill, so overkill. <laughs> but um, the engine in this is actually like an evolution of the one that was in the 12C. Okay. Um, 
And so, I mean, like, McLarens haven't always had the, like, people don't think of McLaren and think, oh, yeah, that, that engine sounds amazing. And, like, maybe that's one of the downfalls of the 720S is that it doesn't sound that good. Okay. But it does make a lot of noise. And it is dramatic. Um, dramatic is the best way to put it. I want you to tell me all of the people who have done something. You say you've been, you've been behaving nicely on the road, but for whatever reason, when you're in a supercar like this, People are, like, sensibility goes out the window for everyone else around you. No matter how safe you are, suddenly people drive like yeah. they've never been on a road before. So I saw a guy, like, walk into a pole because he was just <laughs> like, yeah, no. because he was looking at the car and his friend had to, like, move him out of the way of the pole. And this, this CRV, like, stopped traffic. I was stopped at a, at a light um, just behind a few cars. And the guy in the lane next to me just stopped traffic to like put his whole body out of the window of his CRV to take a photo of me. Did he use an iPad? No, but that <laughs> would have been an iPad on a selfie stick. That would have been <laughs> hilarious. Um, but, and people just go nuts over it. And I saw a little boy and he was just like, <laughs> like he went nuts and it was so cute to see because because that's how you know a car is cool because like, you know, yeah. a three-year-old doesn't know anything about cars, but they just see something and they're like, that is dope. That is, that's exactly how I, how I characterize supercars or yeah. any, any fun cars like that. When somebody who's never seen a cool car and they like, that's the thing, I like it. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're like, sweet, it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just going back to it, uh, the 12C you thought was really comfortable. The 720 is super comfortable over rough roads. Okay. And mind you, driving in the city, I keep it in comfort mode. Right. So it has an adaptive suspension and you, yeah, can yeah. Put, you can crank it up to track, yeah. um, which is crazy. Like it's just, you, you crank it into track and the steering, like any little movement, the car will just go. Dark. It's so yeah. responsive, right? That's sweet. Um, but yeah, super comfortable. Mm -hmm. And you know, not that scary to drive. That's what I was surprised at with the 12C. However, there were some really small things that need a refine in the 12C and I want to know, you need to tell me the following things about your 720S. Sure. When I had the 12C, the only way to open the door was to feel up the, 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 the side of the car until <laughs> it opened. to warm it up a little. And that was really awkward when you're, especially if people didn't realize you had the car and you're walking up to this thing Just and you're touching like, people's excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, this is my ride. And excuse then finally me, this is my car, folks. <laughs> yeah. Just, just don't mind me, I'm just... So, so does this have a handle yet? Because it doesn't have a handle. Ridiculous. So to open it, and there are dihedral doors, like kind of like a gallwing. Yeah. Um, and so there's a little button, like a rubberized button inside. It's uh, kind of like the section that channels air into mm -hmm. the intake. And so you kind of have to feel around for it. So you do have to do a little bit of touchy-feely. <laughs> but once you find it, him. it's pretty easy to open. But for Sam this morning, when I picked him up, it was pouring rain. <laughs> it's like pouring I couldn't rain. figure out how to <laughs> unlock the door. The and so it's, it's like everything. The button to unlock the door is like on the left side of the uh, dashboard. Okay. And it's a button. I just had never used it before. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's pouring. Sam's getting soaked. He's like, I don't know where the button is. Well, I'm like, <laughs> first it's pouring rain. And I'm like, oh, like, how do I I open it. I have no idea. And she's like, oh, there's a button. So I like stick my hand down the side of the door. <laughs> and and I'm like, your whole hand fits right. too. It's like, and then so I'm like, okay, I feel it. I'm like, it's not opening. So then she rolls it down. Mind you, it's raining on me yeah. this whole time. So and wait, she's she like, okay, wait. through the window. Yeah, at first. Like the window well, she gestured. Open. Like, I didn't want to get in. wet. Come on. And then she rolls down the window and I'm like, it's not unlocked. So then she unlocks it and then I get it and I'm soaking wet. But yeah, it was kind of funny because okay. I had no idea where the door handle was or. So and that's part of the fun <laughs> of the supercar, though, because everything is not normal. Right. Everything just takes a little bit of like, oh, hey, that's cool. Like, 
Um, like there's no park, for example. You just put it in neutral and put and on the handbrake. Yes. Yeah, uh, which is not a handbrake. You're right. It's an electronic uh, one. Um, the 12th I had also had the most awkward location for climate control, which was on the armrest. This one is not. They have everything's in the everything's in the, the center, center console, okay. so they have this touch that screen. It's like a little sense. bit of a tablet size. Um, and what I love the most about the 720 is how like focused it is. So to do stuff like uh, climate control, you have to hit a button and then do it on the touch screen. Okay. But for example, to do stuff like turn, uh, put it into track mode or sport mode or anything driving related, all of that stuff is front and center. Right. So it's just extremely focused. It has this beautiful um, unfinished uh, carbon fiber steering wheel. Uh, so it's like got a little bit of a matte yeah. finish and there are no buttons, there's no distractions. It has this, uh, so for the gauge cluster, it's a touch screen, mm -hmm. but that flips down and hides and has a smaller screen uh, when you're in track mode, which only shows you the RPMs and what gear you're in. So it's just, it's just so pure and there's, I, I just love that like focused driving purity of, and it's amazing. And it has a dual clutch transmission, right? Uh, uh, seven speed. Right. Um, and you have to flip through these gears with the with the paddle shifters, Paddle shifters, right? yeah. Now, when I had it, one of the things that noted, that I remember about the 12C is that every action that you put into this vehicle has to be done very deliberately. Putting your foot on the brake, the brakes are so stiff that you really yes. have to put a lot of pressure in there. And if you let off, the car starts creeping forward. Yeah. Um, Just the tiniest bit and it starts you going. You do have to get used to braking. I feel like that was maybe the biggest learning curve for me. Yeah. Uh, because it's got these like massive carbon ceramics on yeah. it, right? And they're so good. But yeah, the, the pedal is extremely stiff, so you have to get used to it. And then same with the, the paddle shifter is when you when you reach for a gear, it really feels like you have to be deliberate in your action. It's not just is like it a stiff. Yeah, that's what I, I like remember. That. It's, 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 and it was also one piece so that when you pulled on one side, you could feel the other side kind of like oh. go away from it. It's like an neat. F1 car. Yeah, it was That's so pretty cool. neat. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope the 720 maintains that really yeah. focused feel. Everything just takes a little bit of work, which I love. That's awesome. And, but it's not, it's not work that makes me think like, oh, this isn't worth it because it's always worth right. it for this car. Even like, it's just beautiful. And not only is it super focused on driving, but it's also very luxurious. And so, um, like my boyfriend Chris, he's like 6'4", big guy. When we had the uh, Huracan, for example, it was so uncomfortable for him. Even right. you found it really uncomfortable, the Huracan. I hated that thing. It's yeah. just very uncomfortable. <laughs> sure, it's fun it's to drive, but I didn't like being in it. not very luxurious inside. And so in the 720S, Chris was comfortable. He had enough room. I felt great. I didn't get tired after a long drive. All right. It is very comfortable, except it gets really hot. Right. It gets really hot in there, and no matter how cold I have the air conditioning, I'm boiling, because the engine is like right there. You and are, it, and you're making it work. And it produces so much heat. So and it's I'm like just a like, glass canopy roof, yeah. so you're in like a bit of a bubble. So it's like a greenhouse, <laughs> so I'm like super sweaty, which is not luxurious, but. Um, also the parking sensor this morning? There was an issue with that. <laughs> so because we have front plates, because we're like this, yeah. the whole front plate system is stupid, um, they had to install a system to hold a front plate. And so it blocks a little bit of the safety sensor up there. So it's a parking sensor. Okay. And so for the longest time, Sam and I were just driving to work this morning. It was just beep, oh, beep. No. And it was so annoying. And you could see like the corner on the, on the screen. You could see the corner that it was like in, triggering yeah. the sensor yeah. and it was just where the license plate was. So I had to turn off triggered. all the safety sensors. Oh, um, it was just too annoying, but that, that wouldn't happen anywhere else because right. they don't have front plates. So, but yeah, I mean, everything was luxurious. The seats are amazing. All the materials, there's a ton of carbon how fiber. You, how much did you say this thing was? 
In Canada, it is 420 something thousand. Oh my gosh. In the US, it starts at just so over 300. It's so much money, but it is so good. Okay. All right, all right, I'll believe you. Um, and yeah, it's just I love how dramatic it is, and yeah. it's different, you know. So That's like the point of you a see, it's gotta be. It needs to stay I know, there. but you see something like an Aventador or something go down the road, and you're like, sweet. yeah, I know it's pretty cool, but it's you see them kind of often, and so like, what? where do you live? In Toronto. In Toronto. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I just feel like, and this McLaren was just so special because it's different. It also has a huge frunk. Okay. Big old frunk. We fit big lots of stuff shelf too behind you. Yeah, the there's a big shelf. parcel shelf in the yeah. back. Uh, it's actually perfect for holding pizza because it gets so hot up there. It's a nice flat surface. So there you have it. McLaren 720S best pizza delivery car. Right. Yeah, I would take it. It is funny because because you're right. When you get into an Aventador or a, or a Huracan, it seems like it's not built for human beings at all. Like you get in there, you fold yourself in, you're yeah. like, I can't move my seat any further up or down or like sideways. This is just the way I drive now. Yeah. I have to duck under the under the windshield now to just to see what's I found it. the Huracan <laughs> seats, like they weren't angled properly. I felt like I was sitting forward like this. I'm like, ah, I, just, I don't yeah. want to be in here anymore. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty uncomfortable. And like I was I was okay with making that sacrifice, but the 720 doesn't have doesn't it. make you do that. That's like pretty it's pretty sweet. comfortable. And it's fast and I love all the details like even the the turn signal stock and like the wiper stock they feel so cool they're made out of, right? they're made out of this like coated metal or aluminum oh it feels so good yeah. and they're like slightly cold to the touch they feel substantial mm -hmm. it's just like everything you touch feels expensive that's awesome and, and that's, I love that's what that. a 424 thousand yeah, dollar but it's like. also functional like everything is there every every little detail in the design is built to make it go faster so like cool. better aerodynamics it has this crazy uh like adaptive wing that you know you can use as an air brake or for more downforce if you're on a track or something like that i love that it's so distracting to see in the mirror too it's like doing yeah. all sorts of stuff and you're like yeah working it's a computer <laughs> yeah. um so yeah i just i love driving it it is so fun and so dramatic. I feel like a boss driving that car. <laughs> well, you are the boss, Jody. Uh, Quite literally. We report to you, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All good? Yeah, it was amazing. I can't, well, good, I can't wait a, to drive it some more. pretty sweet car to end this week's podcast on. Uh, once again, I have to ask you guys to send us your questions. You can do that on the YouTube page. You can do that at uh, on our email address, mm -hmm. tips at autoguide.com. You can even do it on Autoguide somewhere. When we publish this story, we have a comment section below that. If you have any questions or feedback or comments, we read them. We love most of them. <laughs> and um, we will surely answer some of the questions that you have uh, for next week's podcast or in two weeks from now. I also want to ask you to subscribe to us on YouTube, on iTunes, on Google Play Music, on Google Podcasts, on what else do we got? Pocket Cast. Pocket Cast, yes. Any of your favorite podcast clients, jump in there, subscribe to us, like us, and uh, leave us a review in there as well. That usually helps with visibility and it will get more people asking silly questions or really serious questions like Blake did with his <laughs> Cadillac uh, question earlier today. But that's it. We'll see you in two weeks. And we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. I think we're, we're me and Brad are going to Pebble Beach, and we're going to be driving some fancy cars. Yeah. So we'll have more fancy cars to talk about. We're not just talking about crossovers like everyone else does. <laughs> right. So thanks for thanks, watching. Guys. And be sure to come back on autoguide.com where you can catch the latest features, comparisons, and reviews, as well as the latest news, all written by Sam. <laughs> Woohoo! I have the best team Woo. ever. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks for watching.